All right, well. (laughs) (laughs) That was Lisa's exciting intro to brunch culture. Yes, I'm always on 10. That's a lie. But, uh. (laughs) <laughs> well, you on 10 today, so we're going to appreciate that and get into this good here scroll. Um, so you got an update. You want to update people on the show that you've been watching, Preach, right? Yeah, I, I didn't watch the second episode, but thankfully, if you listened last week, you know that I had, you know, I felt some type of way about this show with these four prophetesses. Prophetess, <laughs> and <laughs> it's been canceled. And, you know, I thank God for him intervening. And it just shows the power of uh, petitions. You blocking people people blessing, though, you don't think? No, they don't need to be blessing that way. People get healed by getting chest bumped and blew on. Well, she had a a sweat rag she wiped on herself, and she gave it to her protege and laid it on her. And the protege was carrying around the sweat rag. She said she took it to the BMW dealership. To, because she felt like it was power in that Even though she didn't have the money She wanted to get a car She said even though they told her no She felt like the rag was still powerful Both of them need to get slapped <laughs> You gonna give me a rag with your sweat on it And she wiped the sweat in front of her Ew. She wiped all over her face And then put it on her face Covered her face with the rag She said cause even her sweat Got healing power. Ew. <laughs> That's so <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but my thing is, if she got so much power, why is she not at the hospital just raising people up? Because they're they not paying at the hospital. <laughs> but what they is paying is on this, this show where she gets to act a fool and she get a check for it. So I just feel like why these people don't hang out at hospitals where they can really help somebody if they're so powerful. One lady said she raised somebody from the dead once. I said, well, you need to go hang out at the hospital. She don't. They ain't, they ain't paying, though. How much she got paid for raising that person from the dead? I don't know. How do we know the person was really dead, though? Oh, they could have been asleep. <laughs> I, re- I wake people up all the time. <laughs> Get up! <laughs> you know, I'm not saying God can't do it. I'm not sure God is doing it through them. But that's all I'm saying. He's he do, he doing it through their sweat. That's why they people got sweat rags. We yeah, sweat but don't rag. put no sweat rag on me, though. So did the lady get a BMW when she took it to the... No, the thing is, she said they told her no, but she still felt like it had power. Why did you tell that story? <laughs> <laughs> you just discounted everything. I'm you discounted that. everything in her ministry. Yeah, that's why people think, you know, like, they think we jo- we jokes, man. I can't. You walk around here with somebody sweat talking about always oh, power in this sweat. <laughs> no, it's funkiness. Uh, Rachel Dolezal, and I feel like we kind of talked about it prematurely because she released. Well, not no, I don't. She didn't release a statement. She actually has done a stream of interviews. Um, she's doing press. Yes, she has a form of celebrity notoriety from this whole uh, portraying to be a black woman thing. 
and a lot more information came out as well we found out that she sued howard university i want to say in 2002 for uh discrimination against her as a white woman um and she's also have been teaching giving these these talks and and public speaking engagements talking about uh being raised as a black woman and growing up as a black girl and she had an interview that was on a Today Show that I watched. I'm pretty sure a lot of people watched. There's one coming on with M- Melissa Harris Perry that um, I think it comes on today to Saturday. So we'll be able to get an update from that to see what Melissa Harris Perry has to say about it and what she says to her. But anyway, the Today Show's interview, she says things like she had been, she was a little girl and she, it's her race is more complex. And she was a little girl. She was. Um, drawing with the brown crayon instead of the beige one and there's some truth to this transracial thing she's always felt like a black woman and identify with the black experience I actually posted a blog to her which I felt like I wrote in love and I wasn't trying to like go in on her although a lot of the stuff she was saying was stupid basically she pretty much took this position of because I have uh, portrayed myself as a black woman and I've experienced the black struggle if you will then I am credible enough to call myself a black woman and I feel like that's a slap in the face to everybody and I feel like understanding that at some point in time she identified as a white woman so much so to to sue her institution now a lot of people are hyping on hopping on the fact that it's a hbcu but even if it was a pwi to sue an institution because you feel like they are um they are like trying to hold you back or they're taking something you she said her scholarships they're taking scholarships away from you because you're a white woman and they're discriminating against you because of that and then some 10 years later or not even 10 years seven years later decide that now i want to be a black woman and i've always felt like a black woman but i didn't feel like a black woman when they were discriminated against me because then i could get get ahead by being a white woman i feel like it just gives you gives us more context to who this lady is now i i do as i said last week like i think that if the work that she's done the work that she's been said to have done uh for the community i think is great but at the same time we hear we've heard stories of her also being like she um fabricated like this that she was somebody was sending her some letter uh, a racist letter and threatening her family and all this other stuff and they're basically saying like there's no leg room to it um and this is something that she came up with herself it really just seems like rachel dolezal decided that you know what race is a big factor and i'm gonna get ahead based on race so i'm gonna be a white woman that's gonna learn about african americans and teach about being black and teach the black experience and then once she felt like she got to a place that she could no longer excel in that she was like well let me just be a a white woman a black woman now and let me tell all these stories about being a black woman so i can get ahead and you know push my own agenda as opposed to pushing the people and i'm not for that yeah i say right let's hashtag rachel those uh those all opportunities I feel like she's an opportunist. I no, I feel like she's. I don't think. I don't even think opportunist is a bad word. Like I, I think she is 
yeah, I'll save what I think for off the air. But now I just feel like she is somebody that is basically taking advantage of the situation and thinking and thinks that, you know what, this is the way that I have to go about it. Like, I feel like she you use something, the black struggle or the, the, the true black experience, which is something that really is real. And that doesn't mean that the black experience is all bad. Um, there are a lot of positive and great things to the black experience. But what it is to be black you took that and you basically made it a product that you can sell to people in order to, for your own personal gain and i think that's just whack true true yeah <clears throat> but in other news on the scroll um donald trump we have another gop candidate it's a circus it is a complete circus well I will say that Complete as the clowns. CNN correspondent said, uh, this made Ben Carson look like a serious car candidate. Because you remember, he came out with the black choir singing Lose Yourself, Eminem. I, and now Donald got paid uh, actors in his crowd um, cheering him on. And let me tell you, I, I was thoroughly entertained by Donald Trump. If nothing else, he has brought entertainment to this uh, election cycle. Um, when he came out and he said that, you know, the other candidates, other GOP candidates can't defeat ISIS because they didn't even know it was going to be hot in the places they were at. Um, they were dripping sweat. Um, and he was like, you know, America is, is behind in trade. We need to beat China. And I beat China all the time. And he started giving all these things. And I was just like, man, Donald Trump, you are hilarious. I don't take him seriously at all. But he did bring a sense of entertainment to the GOP race. I low-key, as somebody that is definitely proud of uh, to be an American, and I know a lot of people are like, really? I really am. I really do love the country. I love One of the things that I love about our country is that we have a space where we, we aren't perfect. We haven't been perfect. Um, but what we do is we, there's opportunities for us to criticize our, our it's kind of like this whole sense of family like you can't talk about my family but I can talk about my family mm -hmm. and so we fix our problems on the inside so I really appreciate that and I take the I take you know any political race serious um, but particularly you know the presidential race I think it's something that's really serious and to just see Donald Trump come out and to act a fool to me I was just like really guys and this is what we have as a contender for any you know but i will say i'm just glad that he on y'all side and not over here with us because uh yeah yeah i think the gop <laughs> has some serious work to do um as it relates to who's going to be the candidate i mean jeb bush obviously has thrown his hat in the ring he's going to have a hard time distancing himself from the bush um just the thoughts people have about the bushes i mean yeah he's gonna have a real difficult time and marco rubio Rand paul and and jeb are, i think the three most i mean i guess ted cruz could be considered but i don't i don't want to uh, consider him yeah, um <laughs> no, i mean as I, somebody who came out with a serious like, yeah yeah as somebody that came out with serious but i mean that has a shot now um uh marco <laughs> rubio and uh, Rand Paul, I think, are you guys' best bet. And, you know, I, I think it will definitely be an interesting race. But I think this whole Donald Trump thing, you know, is, is what I don't think anybody took it serious. But even before, you know, we found out there was like paid actors uh, that was in the crowd. 
I just don't really get it. Like, and I I feel like there has to be some sort of there's a reason for it. There's something that you know maybe he's supposed to kind of allow people to see the party in a, a different light or. You know, he's calling out one of the things that a, a, a CNN correspondent said was that what he by being by saying that he is uh, an actual contender for uh, 2016 for the primaries when he when they're on that stage because it's Donald Trump, because he shoots from the hip, because he says what he wants to say, what you will be able to do is have somebody on stage that are going to say the things that people are thinking, but nobody wants to say. So it's going to challenge the candidates more. So I, I'm resting on the fact that that's what it is. This man is probably going to get up there and play devil's yeah, advocate. and play devil's advocate, um, or you know, just kind of make one or two candidates look really bad. Re- no, really good. Like make them look just that much better because it's like honestly, well, guys, look. We already got the bottom of the barrel. Not saying everybody's the bottom of the barrel, but it's like when we look at this guy, anything is better than him. So like if you respond to three questions better than him, all right, we let's just go with you. So I feel like it's kind of one of those moves. Yeah, well, that's the Donald. That's the Donald. Well, it is Father's Day on tomorrow. Yeah. And we want to shout out My to daddy. all the My fathers daddy. Daddy. out there. My daddy. Um, sometimes fathers go underappreciated in our community. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure we appreciate the fathers. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. We appreciate what you do and continue to do it well. Exactly. We talked about this last year. It's, it's funny because, again, we've come up on our one-year anniversary, which was on the 14th. Happy one-year anniversary, birthday of brunch culture, Lisa. Yes, um, happy anniversary. Yeah. Do you know what today, today is? It's our anniversary. Yeah, I did Tony, the Tony, fin- Tony, Tony. I did the finger like um who who do the finger? Dang, I forgot. Somebody Tomorrow sing with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's Father's Day, and you know, there's a lot of stuff. I'm actually gonna uh post about this like post a blog about this whole thing but we talked about it last year but this idea of like honoring your mothers but it's funny though it's not funny it's kind of it kind of bothered me so mahogany's uh greeting cards has a greeting card that says happy father's day mom Mm -hmm. and i was like wait what yeah and i think one of the things that we want to do uh this year and i kind of challenge everybody to do is like honor those people that are in your life that are fathers that are active in their lives and like let's you know acknowledge the people let's use the holiday for what it's for and that's to acknowledge those people that are great fathers because there are great fathers out there just like they're like they're great mothers on on mother's day and not every mother is great not every father is bad so like let's honor those people and i know i have a list of people that I'll definitely be hitting up to say thank you um, and just, you know, try to encourage them for doing what they're doing. But big ups to Father's Day. If you don't have a father, I know how it is. If your father is no longer here, for whatever reasons, you don't have a presence father. Um, know that it's my belief that you have a, a father in heaven that loves on you despite any and everything, no matter what. And so... I know this Sunday I'll be leaning out. Uh, I'll be leaning on that and resting in that. And I hope that you guys do the same. Amen. Oh, amen. I just had a you know a little come to Jesus moment, but uh, nah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so, if, in terms for um, for the main dish, um, we know that 
everybody's heard about the uh, Charleston, South Carolina massacre. Um, and we kind of just want to talk about it, but we want to talk about it from the standpoint of where are black people safe, right? This is something that I was listening to it when it first, the story kind of first hit uh, the news cycle early, early on uh, Thursday morning. And, you know, there were questions people were saying, well, is this a race thing? Is this a race thing? So you start having, hearing a lot of people say that it's not a race thing. This isn't about race. You know, this could have happened anywhere. It could happen to anybody. This was just a hate crime on Christians. Um, and then we start talking about the fact that this is a historically black church. This black church has been a pillar uh, for the civil rights movement. It is one of the oldest churches in the South. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke at this church. The church has been very instrumental. Um, the AME church that, that it is, it's been very, it was very instrumental uh, during the time of segregation um, and, and, and voting rights and all of those great things that have happened. And so to think that someone will come in here and to open fire in a church, um, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to, to fat, well, it's hard for some people to fathom, but it's try, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around why it would happen. And so a lot of the correspondence, um, the, the, and cultural critics start saying that this is not about race. It's not about race. We don't know what it's about. And then we find out that this guy, you know, this was clearly about race. This guy blatantly made it about, you know, uh, black people and saying that he wanted to harm and kill black people and telling his friends that he'd been planning something for a while. So we see from the recent events, black people aren't safe walking down the road. Black people aren't safe walking in or near the street. Black kids aren't safe uh, playing with gun, toy guns or toys in the park. Um, a black man in Walmart carrying a, a gun that they, they sell in Walmart, which is a pellet gun, is not safe because he's killed. Black kids aren't safe at the pool. And now we have black people not being safe at church. So the question is, are black folks safe anywhere? And if so, where is that? <laughs> um, I, I I think it's 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 sad to say that um when we think about everything that you're saying, like every event, it's like black people aren't safe in their skin. Yeah. So that means that no matter where bl a black person is. They're, they aren't safe because they are in their skin and their skin is the enemy to some people. Exactly. And that is very much so problematic because that makes people very scared. Mm -hmm. um, that makes uh, people hopeless. Um, and it's kind of this idea of what can I do? What, can I breathe? Right. The only, the, the only time I'm safe is when I stop breathing. And the, that means that death is the only safety. Yeah. And that's a scary thing to wrestle with as a black person. And and we are black. We don't identify. We don't have the luxury like Rachel to identify ourselves as a different else. race. Right. I mean, this whole transracial, I mean, you wish it existed because then you wouldn't have to be scared. You it's not something that everybody has access to. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Where was transracial during the Jim Crow? We couldn't pick which water fountain we wouldn't be, go to and say, oh, we feel white today, so let's drink out the white water fountain. There's, you know, so 
since we aren't safe in our own skin, that presents a problem. That means that anywhere we are, we're not safe because there are certain individuals that hate us because of our skin color. Exactly. And so one of the things that I, I want to point out, though, that I feel perpetuates this, and it's something I think people say all the time, uh, and it, it literally gets under my skin, but people say this all the time in efforts to kind of make it appear as if they are cool or they don't have a problem. But when people say, I don't see race or, you know, race isn't a factor to me. I don't see race. I'm a person that loves everybody. You can actually love everybody and still see race. And I think one of the issues that we have here is that when you have people that take a position of, I don't see race, so everything is okay, not seeing race you're you, you're right. You don't see race because you have the luxury to not see race and to not have to think about race. And so because of that, you leave a subset or a group of people over to the side without considering their experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Because as black people, we don't have the ability to not see race or to not the race, not to be a factor, because even if we we took that when we take that position or if we did take that position, we'll be quickly, swiftly reminded by events like this that you know you are black you look like those people and you have to experience that um so when you see that and knowing that those black people don't have the ability to not see race you have to challenge yourself to say you know what the problem is that i don't see race i need to start seeing race i need to understand how race impacts and affects people's lives here in our country and try to get there to try to understand their side, try to help see things from their point of view so that we can move collectively to some form of resolution, resolve or change. But until people start to do that and people start to understand, honestly, race is not something that you can cut on and cut off It's not something that we can just decide to not be or to not participate in. So until people do that, we're going to continue to have issues like this and problems like this, because really mark lamont hill said it um on cnn but he's like every time you know an issue like this or something similar to this happens when it's dealing with black people we ask the question of everybody wants to to wait and hold off reservations we'll have all of the facts in our face and we try to say that it's because of something else other than the fact that yo there are people out there that really are racist there are people out there that really like this individual hate black people and for that very reason that's why we have that's why we have these issues and that's why we have to acknowledge it for what it is had it been a different community a, uh, or a, a different protected community there would be no question people would be saying you know it is this is a hate crime towards this group of people this is because of you know th their their sexual orientation their race or their their religious beliefs we would automatically identify it as that but when it comes to there being an infringement towards black people we have to say well maybe it's something else yeah and then when we do have all the facts like the guy is literally saying i did this because i'm a racist i have a race i have a, a, a white supremacist patch on me i you know i wanted to start a race war i hate black people he says this and we're saying oh he has a mental illness a mental oh you know he right. he's going through something but when but it's in our faces and i think that um john stewart said it best on his uh, video when he was like what saddens him as a white person is that the fact that we 
white people will look at this and still deny that there's racism present in our country. Exactly. And then they'll not do anything about it. And it'll just go away because we don't, it seems that we don't want to say it in the in in this hope that it'll go away, which when you don't say it, it perpetuates it. Exactly. Silence perpetuates it. And so you have to say, we have a problem. America is still um, suffering from racism. Racism is deeply embedded in the hearts and minds of many white people. And so until you acknowledge that as a white person, until black people acknowledge it, because some black people don't acknowledge it as well, until everybody acknowledges that racism is very much alive in this country, we'll never be able to progress. We'll never progress with denial. We'll never progress by saying this is an isolated incident. Um, no, it's it's very much present in the lives and and we have the civil rights act those things are great but you can't legislate the hearts of people and so the legislation is great we need more legislation to protect the rights of people but you need to really get to the root and say these people are hateful individuals and And stop calling them mr and stop giving all of these excuses as to why. And I, I just think it's so interesting. Um, there was a uh, a post on Facebook that I saw and someone was saying, we have to hold media accountable. And that is so true. That's one of the things that I want you guys to hold us here at Brunch Culture account- accountable because we do have a platform and a space. So hold us accountable and share your thoughts. But also I feel like as Brunch Culture, one of the reasons that we're here are to give is to give a, a story or to talk about things in an open space that aren't being talked about um, and that perspective is not being given in mainstream media, but we have to hold media accountable. Is it not disturbing that when we start to talk about um, this individual that that decided to go in and to kill people blatantly, you hear people say that he has a mental Ill- illness. You hear people say, and again, he, he very well may have a, a mental illness, right? But you hear so much empathy for him and so many people saying things like oh well you know he needs help and you know we need to protect him from himself he can harm himself but when there is a riot after an explicit very very evident and obvious injustice someone being killed in the custody of police and you have people that are starting to riot and express their anger we hear things like thugs and and people that are tearing down their community and the news cycle creates this sense of being angry at these people who are hurting and this guy they, but they're not killing people this guy they're he's killing people blatantly killing people and we're saying like oh, well, he's mentally ill, we have to get him help, or, you know, all lives matter. And I go back to this because this really strikes a chord with me. Um, I really take it personal (laughs) in talking to people and people saying why they can't support Black Lives Matter and how, you know, all lives matter. And that's why they support all lives mattering. But it's like, here's another situation where, again, somebody is blatantly coming to kill black people but you will still hear people hear people say well you know well all lives matter and it's because they were christians that he did it now this man said that he did it because they were black but it's because they're a christian and we just need to pray and let's all get in the church and we need to cling to jesus just harder because we all can we're all we all can do that 
Meanwhile, your boy is saying, oh, I'm not going to the white church. I ain't going to the Hispanic <laughs> church. I don't want to go to the Asian church. I'm not going. I want to go where the black people are, the historically black. I want to go there and I want to kill them people because I believe in segregation. I believe that those people are coming to rape our women and they're coming to, you know, take take our land and we need to stop them. That's what he believes. But then but you'll that, have, like our land it, wasn't taken. Like but we want, but, like but, we want and taken from you'll our have homeland. The, exact, you'll have like the all our women lives went raped. You'll have the all lives matter idiots though. They'll they'll tell you real quick. But I believe all lives matter, and you'd be like, what? But I believe all lives matter too. But what if you believe that all lives matter? Then what about the black lives? That's a part of all lives. Like don't you you it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say as a, as a as a as a as a church leader, I think that it's important for churches to, uh, a, a conservative churches, especially white churches and black churches too, to really address the racial issue. Exactly. Um, because I I think one of the things we see that came out of um, the uh, civil rights movement was a a um, a a emphasis on black liberation theology it was birth actually black liberation theology came out of that and black liberation theology focused on the social aspect with James Cone and um, his book on black liberation theology the social aspect and the black struggle and I think it did I think it, it, it swung the pendulum to the other extreme but because people responded to black liberation theology because churches were not dealing with the issue um, in the messages. You have to, when you talk about, um, you have to be relatable. People are dealing with real struggles. They're fighting through the black struggle every day. And the church is supposed to have an answer for them. If we don't have an answer, then it becomes problematic and people could potentially go to other extremes. Now, I don't agree with everything in black liberation theology, but it was a response to the church's sidelines. And we can't just be silent on the issue. We have to be proactive. So you need elements of black liberation theology. You need elements of conservative conservative Christian. You need um, you need elements of liberal Christianity, all to bring a balance to the discussion. We all need everybody at the table addressing this issue. I think that's the. I think the problem though becomes in the fact that when you take this conservative christian position you cancel out the voices the experiences the ideals the 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 lives literally of so many people that you have people step away and say we have to do something else and so that's why you have a completely different extreme and you have so many people that will say that as opposed to you know, conti- continuing to exist in this space where people don't even think that I'm legit or I should live or I should exist. I'm just going to step away from it. I'm going to bow out. I'll let you guys believe what you believe and do what you want to do. And then we'll start our own thing and we'll have something completely separate. It's not about, I think the the answer is not having all of the answers, right? Because a lot of, a lot of these things, the nuts and bolts, the day to day, we don't have the Bible doesn't speak specifically to these things um, di- directly like this one instance. It doesn't speak to that directly. But what it, what we can do or what we should do is have a space where we can have a conversation about it. And mm-hmm. 
you, you, although I disagree with your practices, I disagree with what you're doing, I need you at this table so that we can talk about how we can coexist and how we can take care of this problem together. Mm -hmm. Because this has really made me think about, you know, this him, uh, him going into the church, the shooter going into the church, um, and it made me think about how important the church has been in the progression of, of, of black people in getting a lot of the legislation passed and a lot of the, the laws that we have um, that protect us in so many instances. The church was very, very instrumental in that. So there is definitely a place for the church, but the place of the church has to be a place where people have, everyone has the ability to bring forth their concerns to bring forth their experiences and as one church we can we can come up with a plan of action to move forward i think that's where the church's space is and and you you realize because you have churches that today that want to be so active or that decide to be active but they're pushed back or they're shut out because today you have these spaces where people no longer are saying that i'm going to you know, hide my thoughts or I'm going to like exist in this box. People are saying, hey, I have a voice and I'm going to use my voice outside of the church. No longer do I have to be, you know, this this person that's praised by so many people locally. I actually have social media. And if I have 500,000 Twitter followers, guess what? That's 500,000 people that I can influence and I can talk and share my space with. So what the church needs to do is say, hey, wait, let me bring you in. I'm not saying that what you do is right by what my beliefs. I'm not saying that everything that you do, I'm in line with. Heck, everything that I do, you're probably not in line with. But in order for us to really get to a space where we can live and we can save lives, we have to work together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what that's what's needed. Yeah, engaging the culture, the church needs to do a better job. In order to win the culture, you need to engage the culture. And I think that's something that the church is not doing a good job at. Erica Campbell <laughs> doing it. That's why she loves God. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's not do it that way, though. <laughs> I love God. You love. You saw the video, yo? Yeah, I did. What you think? I think it was interesting. I showed it to my brother. He was like, she's too old. It's like an old person trying to be young. I, so your your brother and I, I was like, it's not a bad video. And the video, actually watching the video, it made me like say, well, I guess the song ain't that bad because I, maybe I just needed a visual. I still don't care for the song, <laughs> but maybe I needed a visual. But I kind of felt like she don't really do this. This is not really her. Like this is not what she do. She don't get with her friends and have all these like different like weaves and just be like bouncing. Like you don't do this in it. You somebody mama for real. For real. <laughs> so it's one of those things that, like I can't really buy into it. But you know, it doesn't seem authentic. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Hey, she love God, so yeah. You gotta you gotta let her love her. That's what it's about. So I love uh, getting to this uh, back to this um, this place of where we exist though. I I really think I think the answer though. In terms of black people, I think that, and I love what the NAACP is doing. I really do love what the NAACP is doing right now in terms of really getting local chapters um, energized and involved using social media and responding very fast uh, and very quickly to 
the things that are happening in culture, but really trying to engage and bridge the gap between young and old people and getting people involved in the community and giving people, you know, very clear instructions on this is what you can do from your space. One of the things that one of my advisors told me, I, I sent her a message um, after watching the video uh, of Texas, of the, the, the police officers at the pool in Texas, and I sent uh, one of my advisors a text message, and it just, it really disturbed me and it really bothered me because I was like, in this moment, I feel powerless. In this moment, I don't feel like I'm doing anything to address this specifically, and it's frustrating. And one of my advisors, she, my advisor, she told me, she was like, so the one, the one thing that I want you to remember is that everybody's space is, everybody's job is not to be in the forefront, out in the forefront for every issue in every instance. That's not it, right? There are certain people that you have to get things done in your circle of influence, right? So, or in the space, the realm of where you're in. So if this, in this moment in life, you're a part of this group of people, you work for this uh, organization and you are doing things there, that's that's your that's what you're supposed to be doing. Once you can get out, sometimes you may need to be in the front, but sometimes you may need to be following what is being let, what you're being told to do by these leaders that are out on the front on this particular issue, and that's what you need to be doing. And so I love that the the, the NAACP is really starting to uh, engage the culture, if you will, from a social media standpoint. From the standpoint of saying, okay, so like, this is what we're doing on social media. Let's bring you to your local chapter. This is what your local chapter is going to do to address these issues. When people say that, oh, well, you know, there's black on black uh, crime as well. This is what we're going to do to address black on black crime. These injustices against the police brutality and police excessive force. This is how we're going to address that as well. They're really putting people in different pockets and doing that. And I really and truly just love that about them. Um, and I say all that to say that that's a role that the church needs to have as well. That the church in itself needs to take this position of this is a place where you can come, we can have these discussions, and we can actually get out and do the groundwork to make to to move people forward. We can't say that, well, you know, this is your faith and your beliefs that are over here. And, you know, here's like social issues and political issues that's over there. And we can't bridge the gap between the two. No, we need you to come. Black, the black church, black conservatives, I need you to come here. Black liberals, I need you to come here. We need to sit at this table and talk and have a discussion and figure out how we're going to move this thing forward. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think that's definitely needed. Um, but we want to hear your input. What do you think about um, the safety of black lives? Do you think we're safe anywhere as black Americans? Let us know what you think. Um, remember to um, hashtag ChatBC on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll see it. And we want to um, talk to you about it. So let us know your thoughts. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right. And now it's time for the toast of roast. The toast. Oh, That's your theme music for this? Yo, I'm going to get like, I'm going to find some theme music for Toast to Roast and we're going to make it happen. But this week, I just want to toast uh, the FCC. I am so thankful for the FCC. I have been an AT&T customer for many, many years. AT&T was I actually... Was 17, I've been one. Yeah, I was actually 14, 15. Yeah, it's really bad. But, um... 
AT&T throttles data. I have an unlimited data plan. If you have an unlimited AT&T data plan, you know that after three gigs um, on, after three gigabytes usage on 3G and five gigs on 4G LTE, your data is throttled. So it's gonna move very, very slow. It's really hard for you to do basic things like type in something into your Google Maps or your Apple Maps to uh, get to a destination. So the FCC actually filed a lawsuit um, against AT&T and they are Im imposing a $100 million fine on AT&T because they believe that AT&T has um, been deceptive towards its, its customers, not adequately letting their its customers know that although you, you're said to have an unlimited plan once you get past this mark you're actually your phone and a lot of the apps and the things that you use on your smartphone won't be usable so i just think that thank you fcc toast to you for caring about us and at&t as a result of the initial lawsuit has apparently changed last month they changed their um their policy to say that they'll only slow down data speeds in areas where uh, the network is congested. So that means that, you know, if we are in a big group of people and I've exceeded my five gigs for the month and a lot of other people are trying to use the net one area, well, my data will be slow before those other people. But they don't we don't know, you know, what they're how they're going to gauge that and how they're measuring that or what the oversight is for that. So I just want to say to the FCC again, toast to you. Thank you for caring about the people that keep paying eight hundred dollars every month to use data that they can't use. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, I think mine is throttled after two days. I'm just, <laughs> that's how much I use data. And so, you know, I'm frustrated with it. And I just, yeah. But I want to toast this week um, to John Stewart um, because I think that he did a good job as a white American as acknowledging the reality um, in in America of this denial of racism. And I think it's important and because he is a, such a big part of the media and such a respected part of the media for him to lend his voice it's helpful to our cause. So toast to you, John Stewart, for saying, hey, I don't have any jokes today. I'm going to give you the real and the reality is we know it's racism in the country and we're still not doing anything about it. And the sad thing is after this, we probably still won't do anything about it. And I think that's the truth that needs to be spoken that black people have been saying all the time. But sometimes people need to hear from their people in order to really it really click. And it probably still won't click. I'm not pessimistic but you know so you, you you can't be too optimistic when it comes to these things and the history of the united states of america but thank you john stewart for lending your vo voice so toast to you toast to you all right and for this week's good vibes what do we have this week for our good vibes this week comes from um the pastor and state senator who was um gunned down along with the eight other victims um, and we want to definitely to their families send our condolences because um, that is I can't imagine um, that kind of pain um, but Reverend Pickney um, who was the pastor at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina said um, freedom sometimes you gotta make noise to do that sometimes maybe you have to die like Denmark Denmark Fessy to do that and it's amazing because he was a champion of freedom and um, 
you know, he did work a lot of work in South Carolina on the behalf of African Americans and he said, you know, sometimes you have to die for that and he actually did die um for the cause um and he died because he was an African American um and that's it, that goes back to our main our main dish and it's the fact that are we safe yeah um so we definitely want to keep um keep this keep this mindset hey we got to still fight and freedom is something that we have to fight for daily as African Americans so uh, we want to encourage you to fight the good fight. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't not go to church. Don't be scared. Um, I know it's a tr- trying time, but we still have to go for it. We still have to be courageous as African Americans to say, hey, we're not going to let this stop us. And I, I read the definition of courage. Courage is doing what scares you. So I want to encourage us all to be courageous. Um Thank you for your continued support of Brunch Culture. If you want to listen to any of our past episodes or get more information, go to www.brunchculturebc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Brunch Culture, on Instagram at Brunch underscore Culture, and on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Brunch Culture. And as always, here at Brunch Culture, everything everything is is up up for discussion. discussion.